Welcome to our guest segment. Uh, we have a lot of big names on this show, but uh, I don't get nervous or star tr- or starstruck too often. Uh, but tonight, uh, somebody that I've been listening to for years, I'm a Chicagoan and uh, just a guy that I really admire. He's got a ton of books on Amazon. Just on, you'll find all of his books in his latest book. I'm super excited about We Will Not Be Silenced. Dr. Erwin Lutzer is the senior pastor of the Moody Church in Chicago, a graduate of Dallas Theological Seminary and Loyola University and uh, one of my heroes. Uh, great to have you with us tonight, sir. Jim, I'm so glad to be on with you, and I do have one correction to make. Yes, sir. I am now Pastor Emeritus at the Moody Church. I served as senior pastor for 36 years, but I have transitioned. Uh, Moody Church now has a new pastor, a young man that I greatly support with my prayers and my love and my encouragement. But don't take that wrongly. I'm more busy than ever because our media ministry is constantly expanding. Running to Win is in 20 different countries in three different languages. And as you've already noted, I continue to write books. So I'm so glad to be with you tonight. Thank you so much, and I appreciate that update. Um, Your book is published by Harvest House, which they've published a number of my books over the years. One of my uh, great, great experiences in publishing, working with Bob Hawkins Jr. Is is he your contact there at Harvest House? Yes, he and Steve Miller. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, who is the editor? Yeah. Those are the two uh, yeah. guys that I connect and, with. And um when I my early days of writing for them, they had me come out to Eugene. They had this condo on the beach. They had me stay there for a few days with Steve Miller like to polish off one of my books and then Bob took me up uh, into the mountains and we, we stopped at this place called mom's pies where I guess he takes all the authors to get a slice of pie. Uh, wonderful people, both him and his dad, just wonderful people. And uh, they're not afraid to publish hard hitting books, which is unique anymore. And that's sort of the theme of this book, which I want to get into. And I want to start by asking you sort of the big question, which is that so many churches today have taken the position that in order to reach the unchurched, in order to reach the unsaved, we have to stay out of quote unquote politics. We have to stay out of cultural issues. And so as a result, we get sort of this watered down 20 minute TED talk and a latte on Sundays. And they're afraid to talk about any of these issues that are facing our culture. But your book takes that on directly. Uh, tell us your thoughts. Exactly. And the reason that um, it's so important for us to talk about these things 
it's not possible to be a pastor if you preach that parents should have input into their children's education and ultimately have responsibility for their children. You've bumped into politics. If you speak against same-sex marriage, you have bumped into politics. In other words, we cannot avoid these issues under the guise of saying that we don't um, you know, want to get involved in politics. Politics is everywhere. I could discuss with you some of the things that are going on today. But uh, to your question, why did I write the book, uh, We Will Not Be Silenced? Jim, I believe that America can be fixed. It has to be destroyed and rebuilt on a quasi-Marxist foundation. Marx himself, his theories had primarily to do with uh, economics. And then, of course, they brought about those horrible revolutions in China and Russia. But there's a new group of Marxists that says we can bring in a Marxist state if we attack the culture we can do it incrementally in such a way that we don't have to have a terrible revolution. We can just bring it in step by step. But the culture needs to be deconstructed. So what I show in the book is the vilification of our, of our Judeo-Christian history and what that means. I also show how it is applied to race. And that's where you get into critical race theory, intentionally dividing people based on the Marxist notion that there are two groups in every society. There are the oppressed and then there are the oppressors. And what you want to do is to create conflict between them until supposedly the oppressed are able to overcome their oppressors. So that's what's happening there. And then I apply it to freedom of speech. Most people don't realize that there are Marxists who say, if we have freedom of speech, the oppressors, namely the, uh, the people in power, the capitalists, are always going to win because they're going to use freedom of speech to hang on to their power. So we have to do away with that, and it's time for only the oppressed to get an opportunity to speak and everybody else uh, simply stand back. By the way, one of the most important chapters has to do with how propaganda works. And I discussed there that the purpose of propaganda is to so shape people's view of reality that even when confronted with a mountain of facts, they will not change their minds. And I show how that is being done. But here's the point. Of course, there's a longer chapter on socialism, the sexualization of children. But the point to be made is that every one of those chapters ends with a response of the church, because my interest is primarily in helping the church think through this issue, these issues, and to respond, because I wrote the book, We Will Not Be Silenced, because it seems to me today the church is being shamed into silence. And we have to be willing to speak when shouted at. We don't shout back, but we do speak. And we have to be willing to take the consequences. We had Joe Dallas with us last week, and he's also published by Harvest House. And his book is all about the cancel culture. He had a really brilliant insight. I don't I'm paraphrasing here, but he said one of the reasons the church has to address the cultural issues is that 
there's this false notion that if we just ignore it, it's not going to come to our doorstep, but it eventually does. So if you if you try to ignore the issue, for example, of transgenderism and these kinds of things, eventually it comes to the doorstep of the church and they say you've got to now have a transgender staff member. So so as part of the culture war, you can say, well, we're going to stay out of the war. We're going to stay on the sidelines. But just like in uh, Hitler's Germany, at some point, as be drawn into this. So it's not a matter of of whether or not you can stay out, but how long you're going to stay out. Eventually you'll be in and it'll be under the most adverse of terms if you wait until that that later moment uh, to take a stand. Oh, exactly. And uh, there is no longer any place to hide, Jim. Uh, You know, if you think that you have a bunker somewhere, that you can hide in, well, it's already occupied by subversive forces. (laughs) You know, in other words, whether it's business, you have, uh, you know, businessmen being asked to write letters of apology if they were born white. Uh, You know, there are applications now for, for work that you have to fill out. You have to fill out on the application whether or not you have had the vaccine whether or not you're fully vaccinated, and that continues to change. Now, fully vaccinated means that you also have the booster, apparently. So all of these things, you cannot you cannot hide anywhere because it's coming everywhere. And what we need to do is to help people think through what the issues are, how to divide between that which we should... Uh, you know, which we can accept in the culture and that which we can't accept. And in this way, what we have to do is to be faithful. Now, for example, let's talk about the family. Marx believed that the family had to be destroyed. And the reason is because it was a unit of oppression. Men oppressed their wives. Parents oppressed their children. They took them to church. God God is the ultimate oppressor. So, What you have is today the vilification of the family, the breakdown of the family. You have all that seeping into our culture. So the minute you begin to address these issues, you are not only talking about some of the cultural things, but you're also talking about Black Lives Matter. And of course, we all know that Black Lives Matter. But um, unfortunately... Uh, that organization is based on Marxist principles, and it only turns out that some Black Lives Matter, others don't. So what we need to do is to think through what the issues are and then stand our ground and say, here we stand, we cannot do otherwise. Yeah, and one of the, the, the chapters about propaganda, which I loved, this is a, a discussion my wife and I, I have all the time, which is we over the years would see news stories. For example, we're seeing all of these Walgreens being closed all around San Francisco because they've now decriminalized shoplifting up to $700 is not considered uh, like a major crime. You can just go in as long as it's not over $700. So just bring your calculator with you to the crime scene. Um, and so all these Walgreens are closing. And then you see all these uh, streets in San Francisco covered with feces. And you see all of these problems. And so my wife and I have had this discussion. We've said, well, you see, they're going to realize that 
all the Walgreens are closing. They're going to take away that policy that that's failing. But so many times we don't see that, uh, Dr. Lucha. We see a failed policy double down on and triple down on. And it's not a logical thing because I think conservatives and Christians, we think it's logical. We we would generally not touch the hot stove the second time where the left would not only touch the stove, but lay their body across the stove. It's not a matter of of results and whether or not their their policies are working, they're just ready to go off, uh, you know, the, the cliff without regards uh, to their policies working or not, which is why you've got California. It just continues to deteriorate what was once a beautiful, vibrant, economically stable state that's just going off the deep end. It doesn't really seem to matter in this propaganda war or information war what the results are. They continue down these failed paths. You know, here in the state of Illinois, the House voted to take away the conscience clause when it comes to issues regarding vaccine. Even parents, I believe it includes that regarding their children. And uh, so you can no longer claim religious exemption. Now, thanks to the Illinois Family Institute, 70,000 people wrote in before the vote, objecting to it, but they went ahead anyway. Why? Because in a totalitarian cultural Marxist view, it's the ideology that has to trump all facts. There is no, uh, you know, Marxist who is ever concerned about human suffering or human freedom. All facts have to bow and be bent for the ideology. The same thing can be said about our open borders, actually, and I discuss these issues in the book. Uh, you know, uh, you know, there's so much suffering, there's so much drugs and so forth coming across the border. Why aren't people concerned? They aren't concerned as long as it increases their power. So the point to be made is that you're right. Ideology always trumps facts ideology always has to win out and everything else has to be subservient to it whether it's good for people or not you know we had uh, lieutenant colonel robert mcginnis here and one of the things that he said which just really struck me uh just brilliant things he said i asked him that same question about these failed policies that seem to just continue to to be pursued by the left and the liberals and he said jim marxism is not a policy it's a religion he said when these these people are involved in a religion and in this idea that they're following this marxist principles are not about results. It's about this belief system that no matter what the results are, they're going to pursue it. And, and, uh, you're, you're right on about Marxism. Now I want to talk about Jesus and the gospel. And there is this idea, this false narrative that Jesus came and just loved everybody and was peaceful with everybody and never went up against the government, never created any controversy. And that's the model that we need to follow. Now, my study of the gospel doesn't show that. My study shows a Jesus that went to the cross because he was upsetting the wrong people. My gospel shows Jesus talking about divisions of households, not people coming together uh, peacefully. This idea of let's all split the difference. Let's all 
get along and not have strong values and strong core issues, because that was what Jesus was all about, just creating a peace and sort of watering everything down to the lowest common denominator. So we're all in this big bathtub of love. Uh, What are your thoughts about this idea that Jesus didn't stand for anything so he could be this peaceful, loving Messiah? Well, you know, your analysis is is, uh, very right. But here's what I need to say. You know, you began what you said by saying the imagery out there is that Jesus was always very loving. So people take that and they say, you know, we should uh, support same-sex marriage because we need more love rather than less and let love win, etc. Right, right. Love can be evil. When Adam and Eve fell in the garden, they didn't stop loving They just started to love the wrong things, lovers of pleasure, lovers of money, lovers of themselves. So to say that something is loving without looking at the biblical definition, herein is love that you keep my commandments. So what has happened is love seems to trump all biblical teaching under the guise of saying, well, didn't Jesus just just teach us all the time to love each other? Well, you know, the point is, yes, we're to love each other, but love is defined in the Bible. It is not something abstract that you can simply apply to any situation you want because you want to flaunt other biblical texts. Now, when we talk about the culture war, We talk about politics. Okay, so we go back to the election. There were a lot of well-known Christian leaders that came out uh, probably the worst moment and had a crisis of conscience and said, don't vote for Trump. And, you know, on this show, I've said it a million times. uh, Trump did a lot of things, said a lot of things that I personally would not have agreed with, but never did anything that would cause me to jump the shark and go over and and vote for Biden or just not go vote because I'm not in love with Trump, uh, the man. And now I've talked to, to church leaders in my community here that would not even say from the pulpit to their, to their flock to go vote now, not, not say who to vote for, but they would not even tell their flock to even go vote because they did not want to cross that threshold of the church getting involved with politics. And and I, I don't know what your view is, but my view is, you know, if, if we don't go out and get involved and run for school board and we don't vote uh, for these candidates that are for pro-life in these values that we have, then we get what we deserve. And, and that's what we have had here with Biden. Uh, everything we could have possibly been worried about uh, exponentially has happened with Biden. Yeah, you know, as a pastor, and I know that there's a difference of opinion about this, I have never endorsed a political candidate or a political party. I think that what happens then is you create all kinds of division and stumbling blocks. The way in which a pastor should deal with these issues is preach on the issues. Then you can stay with biblical issues regarding the family, regarding sexuality, regarding issues that have to do with uh, the dangers of socialism. And you can do all that without endorsing a specific political party. But if people begin to put two and two together and begin to sort things out, hopefully their vote is going to reflect their values. So 
that I think is very important. And you know, Jim, I don't know if you know this, but I was actually born and raised in Canada, so I'm a naturalized American. Okay. And very the good. more I think about um, America, uh, you know, we should not take for granted the wisdom of our founding fathers who put into place safeguards so that the person in charge, namely the president, would have limited powers because there are checks and balances. And I think what we've seen with the president, Biden, is that he undoubtedly has bypassed that, all of the orders that he gave. Now, let me give an example. Uh, there's a school in Missouri called the School of the Ozarks that's a distinctly Christian school. They have found they have filed a lawsuit against the Biden administration because the um, Department of uh, whatever it is called education or whatever is beginning to insist that um, transgender students need the very same equal rights. So how would you like it? You have a daughter. You send her to this school. And she is assigned a roommate who was born a boy, but he identifies as a girl. And we know that because he tells us he's a girl. How would you like that for her roommate? And yet that's, I, I, I always marvel at how people say politics isn't important. Well, it's not all important. It's Jesus that is all important and the gospel. But politics has tremendous ramifications. So when our president signed this order that there has to be equality, that's how it filters down to reality. Tonight had better wake up and say to themselves, we are here in some very, very deep water and deep trouble. And, I, and this summer I spoke at the ADF, the Alliance Defending Freedom, it's a group of attorneys that are committed uh, to preserve our freedoms. And I was so glad to have that opportunity because these are the people that are on the front lines fighting for freedom when we have people in Washington who constantly want to take it away from us. And one final issue I'd like to get into is it's interesting. I I've been uh, watching a lot of things that the comedian Bill Maher has been saying lately. And it's kind of funny because uh, people are saying the left has gone so far off the deep end that now Bill Maher is sounding logical compared to how far they've gone. So one of the one of the things Bill Maher has been talking about is the indoctrination of children. And he said, look, uh, no matter how far left you are, no matter how liberal you are, no, no matter how much you're into all of this gender neutrality and transgender and same sex marriage, all these things, how can you possibly be for bringing that into the kindergarten classroom, telling kids that are five years old that they need to start thinking about choosing their gender? Now, when I was that age, my decision was when I grow up to want to be a fireman or a policeman. Uh, which which crayon do I want to use to color this picture? Uh, those were my choices. Now they're bringing this into the school and many people are finding that uh, their child that they're raising uh, is away from them for six, seven, eight hours a day. Uh, then they go off to a college where they go away for four years. This child that they raised, they thought was Christian, conservative, fundamental. Uh, they end up uh, being this far left 
young person at the age of 22, 23 because of this indoctrination. What does your book say about what is actually happening in the schools and why it can't just be education? Why indoctrination is now part of their methodology? Well, I have an entire chapter in the book entitled The Sexualization of Children. The reason that they want to sexualize the child and to introduce them to all these aberrant forms of sexuality is to break them from their parents, from the Bible, from the church, so that these kids can be more easily led. Uh, The more mixed up a kid is, the more likely he or she is to be led in the indoctrination process. So if you can destroy their sense of who they are, you can then mold them into who you would want them to become or think of themselves as becoming. So the whole point, we go back to Marx, you know, that the family has to be destroyed, that children have to be indoctrinated by the state so that they get all of these um, doctrines correct. So that's where we're at. And uh, in in the book, I point out, Jim, that uh, I, I don't see, I know that there are many parents who are listening and maybe homeschooling isn't an option. If not, faith-based schooling should be uh, something that they should do, at least here in Illinois. I have to say that I do not see, I have actually the curriculum, the sexual curriculum, that I received because I'm doing some other writing on it uh, here in Illinois, it's pornography, and it's 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 uh, it's horrible. It's various forms of sexuality. I I don't see how we can take our children and hand them over to wolves. Now parents have to pray. They have to think. I know there are no easy choices. But God is going to hold us responsible for our children, and um, we need to think carefully how they're going to be educated. I'll do a Colombo on you and say one more thing, sir, as long as you mention Illinois. I grew up in Chicago, lived there until I was 18. I'm as Chicago as anybody. I know where all the good hot dogs are, pizza. I know where the neighborhoods are you want to go into and those that you don't want to go into. I've been on the Moody campus many times. I've been to the White Sox games probably hundreds of times. The Cubs, not so much. <laughs> but in any case, what what has happened to Illinois in, in your view? Because, you know, when I grew up in Illinois, I, it certainly was Democratic, no doubt. But it wasn't this off the deep end left liberal stuff. It was still a part of the Midwest and still largely had these mainline values that have all seemed to disappear. And it's just this very strange thing that I I experience when I go back to Illinois and I see all of this liberalization of everything. How did this this happen to Illinois? Well, it's the cultural narrative of Karl Marx. I keep going back to Marx and I point this out in the book. Marx believed that the only reason that people commit crimes is because of oppression. So what you have to do is to remove the oppression. Police are oppressors. So what you need is less policing. Here in Chicago, I think they made a law that said that uh, as long as somebody still steals under $700, (laughs) you can't chase them on the street. Bring your calculator. (laughs) Yeah, bring your calculator. So the point to be made is 
that's the way people think. And so uh, jails are oppressive. So let's remove the oppression, let's open the jails and let all the criminals out. So when you have such a false view of human nature, which was the great downfall of Marx, the idea that if you remove oppression, people are going to live in love, you won't even need laws because everybody's going to wake up in the morning excited to work for the state and excited to know that they have no oppression, so everything is going to be well. So that kind of silliness is what really brings this about. Now, our mayor here has said that she was not in favor of defunding the police, but here's the problem. The police are going against the universal mandate for vaccination, so that's causing a lot of problems. A lot of policemen are resigning because of the conditions and all of the restrictions that they have, they can't even do regular police work anymore because um, all of the new laws. And so, you know, what we need is a tremendously um, uh, greater number of police, which we don't have, but criminals are rewarded. The police are the villains and the criminals are folk heroes if they break into stores and steal stuff. So <laughs> what else do you expect about yeah, what's it's, happening it's here a in the city? crazy, crazy world. Our guest has been Dr. Erwin Lutzer, and the book is called We Will Not Be Silenced. Dr. Lutzer, take a moment, tell people what's going to be in the book if they get a copy of it, where they can get it. If you have a website you want to give out or any events you want to tell us about that are upcoming where you're going to be speaking. You know what, I, I would just say for tonight... You can go to christianbook.com. They have a wonderful sale on the book. Or you can go to Amazon. Uh, you're right, Jim. The name of the book is We Will Not Be Silenced, Standing Courageously Against Our Culture's Assault on Christianity. It's been widely received. If you go to Amazon, you'll see that it has more than 2,400 reviews. And the Lord is blessing it because people are grappling with the issues of where we stand and how we have to respond. So thanks so much for having me. And as I sign off, remember the name of the book is We Will Not Be Silenced. And I want to add one more thing. Dr. David Jeremiah, this is right in the cover. He says, quote, if I could, I would put the book into the hands of every Christian in America. And I'm holding it up for those watching on the video feed. We will not be silenced. Uh, Dr. Erwin Lutzer, a distinct honor and pleasure to have you with us, sir. We hope you'll come back again soon. Thanks, Jim. God bless. All right. Wow. God bless. What an incredible guy. Uh, I've always wanted to have him on the show. Never worked out. We've had him booked and it didn't work out. And here he is tonight. And uh, what a what a wise man of God. Just uh, just so insightful. Uh, it's just great to hear truth. You know, when you are struggling with these issues, sometimes I don't know for me, I, I'm a talk show host, but I, I still struggle with how do I put into words what is wrong with 
what's going on right now. I mean, how do you articulate it in a way that is not only logical and reasonable, but is also true to your Christian faith? And there's the example of how you do it. And the book is called We Will Not Be Silenced, and we highly recommend it. Hey, I want to wish everybody a fantastic Thanksgiving week. Don't eat too much. If you want to get on my uh, program where I've lost all this weight, get in touch with me. Send me a message over Facebook or email me, jim at christianmoney.com. God bless. Thanks for joining us. And remember, if it's Sunday night, it's Jim Paris Live. We'll talk to you next time. So long, everybody. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers.